Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. At that time, Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves as just and despised others. The Pharisee standing prayed thus with himself, O God, I give ye thanks that I am not like the rest of men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, as also this publican. Words taken from the gospel for this 10th Sunday after Pentecost. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Pharisee in the gospel today makes some crafty excuses for himself. He does not need to humble himself, nor does he need to plead forgiveness and adore the Lord as a sinner ought. He excuses, he excuses himself, and he's clever, isn't he? And prideful. I give, I fast. I'm not like the other men. I'm not like all other men. Thus, I do not need to do what these sinful people do. In his commentary on Genesis, that sacred and historical book, Cornelius Alapi, the great commentator, reports eight sins were contained in the original sin of Adam. He said, the first was pride. That's why we say pride cometh before the fall. The first was pride. The second, too great a love of pleasing his wife, human respect. The third, curiosity. The fourth, incredulity. As if God would have had threatened someone violating the law with death figuratively or menacingly, but not absolutely. In other words, God really didn't mean it. He's, he's, he's all merciful. He wouldn't really allow us to die. The fifth was presumption, as if this violation of the law were only a light and venial sin. The sixth, gluttony, they ate. The seventh, disobedience. And the eighth, excuse-making. Excuse-making. Pride. Excuse-making. Hmm. Quite common things in our lives, I dare say. St. Ephraim explains in his commentary on Genesis that God gave Adam a number of chances to repent of this multi-layered sin. First, God gave Adam time, time to come to his senses. They spent that time sewing fig leaves into clothes. God then gave him a sort of John the Baptist with his footsteps being heard in the garden. Thus, we Read in that sacred book, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in paradise at the afternoon air. At the afternoon air, they heard the voice of God. It was John the Baptist. Repent. God then called Adam because he did not repent and come pleading as the publican did today in the gospel. God then called Adam, but he hid and made excuses. He gave him four chances and Adam said to God, The woman whom thou gavest me to be my companion gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Excuse-making can be very dangerous. Not wise. St. Augustine goes so far as to say, If Adam had not excused himself, he would not have been banished from paradise. 
Aaron blamed the furnace for producing the golden calf. And 23,000 died in one day. Herod used a false oath to justify his beheading John the Baptist. In the parable of the supper, those invited all excused themselves such that his majesty said of them these frightening words. But I say unto you that none of those men that were invited shall taste of my supper. Pontius Pilate used the unruly crowd to give way and order the crucifixion of his majesty. Meanwhile, he symbolically washed his hands of the affair, another crafty attempt to acquit himself. Excuse-making can lead to lasting and damaging consequences. Sadly, those not willing to repent, as did the publican, and blame themselves, will be like the Pharisee praying and arguing with themselves forever in hell. St. Gregory hinted at this, as we heard in the sermon last Sunday in, in the discussion on destruction of Jerusalem. He compares it to a soul that's lost. If you remember, St. Gregory said, For the lost soul will begin to quarrel with itself as to why it had not feared the condemnation that it now suffers. In his outstanding book on the last four things, Von Kochem describes this quarrel as between body and soul. He writes, Who can depict the despair that takes possession of the body? When reanimated by the return of the soul, it awakens to a consciousness that it is lost forever. With a shriek of rage, it will exclaim, Woe is me, woe is me to all eternity. Better were it for me a thousand times never to have been born than to have come to this resurrection of misery. Then the soul will rejoin, Thou accursed body. I have already for several hundred years had to endure the torments of hell. And now I must return to thee to everlasting burning. Thou art to blame for all this misfortune. I gave thee good counsels, but thou wouldest not follow them. Therefore thou art forever lost. Alas for me, unhappy soul that I am. Alas for me, now and forevermore. Thou hast been the means of bringing me to this endless misery. Therefore I execrate. I greatly loathe the hour in which I first came to dwell with thee. Wow. And then the body will answer the soul after this manner, says von Kochem. O accursed soul, what right hast thou to anathematize me? When thou art thyself the cause of all this wretchedness, thou shouldest ruled me more firmly and held me back from evil. For it was with this object that God united thee to me. Instead of associating thyself with me in works of penance, Thou didst revel with me in sinful pleasures. It is for me, therefore, to curse thee to all eternity, because thou art the one that has brought us both to everlasting perdition. Thus, von Kochem says, the soul and body will mutually anathematize each other forever. They will blame each other forever. Don't you see? The blame game is a dangerous game. Upon death, 
Occasionally, a soul comes back and tells what happened. And what do they say? They came before the Lord, the judge, and they said, no matter what was accused of them, they could not make an excuse. You did this. Yes, was the only answer they could make. You did this. Yes. You did that. Yes. You deserve hell. Yes. That will be our answers. No, but wait a minute. What about that? But that person, no, there are no excuses at the judgment. How many times have we blamed someone else for something or for all our problems? If my parents had not let me fill in the blank, if only they had been paying attention, I would not have fallen into that vice or done that dumb thing. If my spouse had only fill in the blank, I would not have all these relational issues. I would be not looking at the door all the time, afraid to come home, not wanting to come home. If the church had only fill in the blank, if that council had not been derailed, how many times have I told myself that? That bishop or priest had only... I would not have fallen into that sin or laxity and would have raised my family correctly. And so on it goes. Thus we have mad trads and sad trads. A number of people have left the church using the Pope or some other scandalous action as an excuse. I had to leave because of that Pope, that bishop, that priest, that scandal. Scandals, error, the evil, bad, I agree, they're evil, they're truly terrible. Especially when coming from inside the Holy Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Roman Catholic Church, the mystical body of Christ. And sometimes from way up there. But we were warned, as His Majesty said to His disciples, Listen to his words. It is impossible that scandals should not come. But woe to him through whom they come. It is impossible. As history clearly indicates, God allows these things to happen in every century, in every decade. And we make excuse after excuse instead of cooperating with him to overcome ourselves. And these scandals, while we have time. An excuse is an attempt to lessen the blame attached to a fault or an offense, a reason or explanation to put forward to defend or justify a personal failure. A common way this is done, as we all ought to know by now, is to accuse or blame others, as did Adam and Eve at the very beginning. In truth, however, the only ones who ought to be blamed, is ourselves. The saint always makes excuses for others, not for himself. The only one who who needs to be leaving the church is the accuser, the excuse maker from the beginning, the devil and his companions. All who leave the church for whatever reason, I don't care what it is, join him. Thus we read in the Apocalypse, 
And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Because the accuser of our brethren is cast forth, who accused them before God day and night. Recall what happened to the good thief. He was crucified with his majesty on Calvary. He changed from attacking our Lord, accusing him, to defending him. He received a grace, I dare say, through Our Lady. Thus he said, we indeed justly deserve this condemnation, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done no evil. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou shalt come into thy kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Amen, I say to thee this day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. No wonder St. Augustine held that Adam might have stayed in Eden had he fallen down in repentance, as did the publican and the good thief. Again, saints learned to excuse others, not themselves. So much did the Curie of ours endure trials and tribulations as a confessor and pastor of souls that he later said, if on my arrival at ours, I had foreseen all that I was to suffer there, I should have died on the spot. With long sermons, long sermons, always on moral matters, always mentioning hellfire, with his continuous effort to eradicate dancing and public drinking from the town, many started to attack him with calumnies, spreading all kinds of unsavory rumors about the good cure. After a neighbor girl gave birth to a child out of wedlock, some tried to pin it on the cure as the father. Such rumors disgusted this pure and holy man that he was tempted to leave the parish but a faithful friend showed him that that would only serve to verify the rumor. What did he do? Accuse them? Excuse himself? No. He later said, we should pray for the love of the cross. Then it will become sweet. I experienced it myself during four or five years. I was grievously calumniated and contradicted. Oh, I did have crosses, almost more than I could bear. Then I started praying for a love of crosses, and I felt happy. I said to myself, verily, there's no happiness but in the cross. To suffer lovingly, he exclaimed, is to suffer no longer. To flee from the cross is to be crushed beneath its weight. Arguably, by his staying in ours, Shortly thereafter, he became the great confessor seeing into souls, and 80,000 people came a year. He held on. He didn't accuse, and he didn't excuse himself. Remember how St. John Bosco's mother, Margaret, came to him one day, all frustrated in her duties. You've heard this before, but it's worth repeating. She said to him, the great John Bosco, I can't do it anymore. You see all the trouble I take, and yet nothing comes of it. I feel that too. Can't do it anymore, Father. All the trouble I take, and nothing comes of it. Maybe I'll go become a confessor at Lourdes full time. Can I get released? She said to him, I can't stand these boys. 
Today I find all the washing I had hung up trampled on the ground. Yesterday they ran all over my growing vegetables. Some came back at night with with clothes all in rags, others with neckties missing and shoes and handkerchiefs gone. Some of them hide their shirts, others take my saucepans to play with. It takes hours to find all these things. I have had enough of it. Sound familiar? I can't go on any longer, she said. And just think how quiet I was at Batchy, doing my spinning. Let me go back there and end my days in peace. Don Bosco, only reply. He didn't say a word. He pointed to the crucifix hanging on the wall. Mother Margaret understood, and her eyes filled with tears. You are right, she said. You are right. And then went back down to put on her apron. She was admitting, these boys are going to be my salvation. These children are going to save me. This husband, this wife, this parish is going to save me. There's a response of a saint. Let's stop blaming others for what God has mysteriously allowed to happen to be for our salvation. Let's not blame even things, devices, For what is surely our own failures, what is really our own problems, faults, and character flaws, saying to ourselves, rather, God has allowed this for a reason. He must be trying to teach me something about myself and the world around me, that I need some work still to make it to heaven. And this world is passing. This stuff doesn't matter. Then we'll be using evil for good. The original sin tells us to make excuses and blame others for our own failures. We must do the opposite, to make peace with his majesty and our fellow men while we're on the way. If we want to be in paradise, and this will go a long way in helping us to conquer the other parts of original sin. If we don't make excuses for ourselves, it'll help us conquer pride, disobedience, presumption, incredulity, and gluttony. No more comfort food. I had to eat that because people are mean. No more excuses for yourself. St. Thomas More prayed to be like St. Joseph, the patriarch, not blaming others for evils, but using them for the good. He said, Grant me the grace, good Lord, to thank my worst enemies, my best friends. For the brethren of Joseph could never have done him so much good with their love and favor as they did with their malice and hatred. You're my benefactors. Thank you. I'm burned on this side, St. Lawrence. I'm cooked. Turn me over and you can partake. The Roman Catechism teaches us That all we have to endure comes from God. It's one of my favorite quotes from this Roman catechism. He who thinks himself injured, it says, ought above all to be persuaded that the men or the man on whom he desires to be revenged was not the principal cause of the injury or loss. Thus that admirable man Job, when violently injured by the Sabaeans, the Chaldeans, and by Satan, took no account of these. He didn't blame any of them. But as a righteous and very holy man exclaimed with no less truth than piety, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. The words and example of that man of patience should therefore convince Christians 
And the conviction is most just that whatever chastisements we endure in this life come from the hand of God, the Father and author of all justice and mercy. He chastises us not as enemies, but in his infinite goodness, corrects us as children. To view the matter in its true light, men in these cases are nothing more than the ministers and agents of God. You're going to be my salvation. Thank you. One man, it is true, may cherish the worst feelings towards another. He may harbor and the most malignant hatred against him. But without the permission of God, he can do him no harm. And this is why Joseph was able patiently to endure the wicked counsels of his brethren. And David, the king, the injuries inflicted on him by Semei. Here also applies an argument which St. John Chrysostom has aptly and ably and learnedly handled. It is that no man is injured but by himself. Let the man who considers himself injured by another consider the matter in the right way, and he will certainly find that he has received no injury or loss from others. There's no reason to blame. For although he may have experienced injury from external causes, he himself... He is himself his greatest enemy by wickedly staining his soul with hatred, malevolence, and envy. Let's put an end to excuse-making and accusations. Then we will more surely go away justified. We will be more open to what God is doing in purifying our souls with the effects of original sin being conquered anew and the accuser cast out once again with paradise ever looming for us. Everyone that exalteth himself shall be humbled, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. May we all be saved souls together in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.